With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome in PFF NFL Showtime. Hmm. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. Changing it up, huh? I didn't mean to. Okay. That was an accident. Right. Do it over. No, we're Redo. live. We've got to keep PFF going. PFF NFL podcast. Sure. We're here, man. Monday morning, week 12, nearly in the books. We still have a little Lamar versus the Rams. Mm. Ravens, Rams. That should be a nice little cap to the weekend, but let's get to it. How you doing? Not bad, Steve. Not bad. Excellent. You? I'm, I'm wonderful. Thanks. Short week. Are you all in on uh, Thanksgiving festivities now that you're, uh, this is year three in America uh, for you, right? Like you've been here two yeah, plus yeah. years, but yes. it's your third. Yes. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving in America. Yeah. Yeah. With the fam and, every, and everything. Uh huh. You all in and just embracing this stuff or what? No, I mean, it still couldn't really mean less to me, but my parents are coming up to visit. So apparently we're having Thanksgiving foisted upon us as a <sighs> way to thing. be thankful, Sam. Yeah. Uh huh. So we are having... I can't even extract a little thankfulness out of you on Thanksgiving week. No, we're having Thanksgiving, you know, dinner, the whole celebration thing. I have very little input into this, but it's happening. Do you have a favorite dish or anything? Maybe we'll talk more Wednesday. Maybe it's more Wednesday fodder. Sure, yeah. Whatever stops it happening now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know back in Massachusetts... Oh, no. It's probably the only state where this happens. Like Thanksgiving Day is like the... A big high school football day. Okay. Everybody plays their, right. their games on Thursday. I don't think that happens across the country. So, you know, in Massachusetts, which is probably the fifth worst state for high school football, we're in the bottom 10 at least. Well, I don't know. The Dakotas exist. Mm-hmm. But that's like the, the big tradition. Thursday morning high school football. Okay. Fair enough. No? <laughs> All right. Cool. Let's talk NFL. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So Thursday night. Colts and Texans Texans win 20 to 17 huge game with AFC South implications the Texans have to host the Patriots this Sunday which probably makes this game even more important 
And, you know, the Texans are almost maybe replacing that. I think it's all the AFC South teams. You just never know what you're going to get from these from these four. Right. And yet, bizarrely, I think three quarters of that division now has a winning record. Yeah. Well, that's it. They're all they're all creeping a little bit better than average. None of them feel particularly good. And yet three quarters of the division has more wins than losses right now. This was kind of like your classic Deshaun Watson game, too. It wasn't pretty at all times, but he's got like four big plays in there. Big chunk plays down the field. Will Fuller really is a difference maker out there when he when he is out there, even if again, even if he's not perfect, just having him out there and the ability to stretch the field, him and Hopkins did have a big game. Busted coverage in there helped mm-hmm. from the Colts. So yeah, Texans staying alive there. Yeah, just about. I mean, this is a big game for them in, because of the in division implications and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, Deshaun Watson's had an interesting run over the past few weeks. Uh, it hasn't been, I don't think, quite as dominant as it looked early in the season. Um, kind of cooled off, but that was a big win, uh, one they needed to snag. Jonathan Williams forward. continues to be awesome for the Colts. But yeah, I think, right. you know, Watson, we always we focus on the quarterbacks a lot because they do drive this thing so much. But, you know, Jacoby Brissett, we've been talking about him potentially regressing. And I really think this was a game where, you know, one quarterback made a few more plays yeah. than the other. And that was it. So AFC South continues to be snug at the top. Let's go to the rest of Sunday's action. The Tampa Bay Bucks 35, the Falcons 22. We thought that the Falcons had turned a corner. Mm. Was this full? There was a point in this game where Jameis had like eight completions for like 140 yards, two touchdowns and two picks. Yeah, it was great. This was one of the most Jameis games ever. Um, And yet somehow he was out Jameis by Matt Ryan. Yeah. So if you look in this game, Matt Ryan had four turnover worthy plays and four big time throws. Jameis only managed three of each. I know, right? So Matt Ryan actually out Jameis Jameis. Yeah, this that's tough to do. It really is. This this was it really was peak Jameis though. Like there were some ridiculous throws in here. Um and yet he just keeps swinging. Yeah. And eventually, you know, it doesn't matter that he throws a couple of interceptions, a couple of terrible passes, gives the Falcons the ball a few times because he's going to go down swinging. And Chris Godwin bailed him out of a bunch of throws. Like the touchdown he threw where Jameis leaves it inside, back, into traffic. Godwin somehow manages to one hand bring it in whilst being drilled in the end zone turns what could have been, I mean, it was just an ugly throw. He had the nice seam route to Godwin. Into a touchdown. Sure. But he also, like, tried to get him killed a couple of times. Um, Godwin had an incredible game. It continues to be, you know, one of the best, if not the best receiver in the NFL this year. Um, and probably doesn't get enough talked about that. But, yeah, this was, it's insane to watch Jameis when he's playing like, this is Cesium. This was Cesium Jameis, where he's just going down high volatile left and right. It's either sublime or abysmal and very little in between. Um, and this game was so chaotic because Matt Ryan was trying to do the same. Yeah. It w- <laughs> that's not what you expect from Matt Ryan. Um, it was, it was kind of classic Jameis because of all that volatility. And it's kind of, I think part of the point that we've made with him is that while negatives might be more stable, you know, just the aggressiveness to have the positives, the, the move, the chains plays, you know, that those, that gives your team the opportunity, right, to score a ton of points. So that's that's what happened yesterday. The Falcons' defense hadn't really turned a corner, I guess. They're, you know, they gave up twelve points over two weeks to the Saints and the Panthers. 
but this was not good. No, I mean, we did at least suggest that that was not exactly who they were. Um, they got really badly dominated up front. Sue, Vita Vea, Shaquille Barrett all had monster games. Um, th- that offensive line was a major problem for the Falcons again, which it's been for most of the season. Um, and at that point, you're, you've got some problems, right? That's going to put Matt Ryan under some pressure. That's going to cause a lot of those turnover-worthy plays. His passer rating under pressure was like 22. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a big part of it is the Bucks defense was able to cause a ton of problems for Matt Ryan and the offense. And there, the Tampa or the Falcons defense just wasn't able to actually contain some of the crazy plays that the Bucks were, that the Bucks were breaking out. So with, with Matt Ryan... I know we like to, uh, with the old quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, Rivers, Peyton, when he was playing, like as soon as they threw a bad pass, we wanted to draw the line in the sand, right? We talked about this the other day, like, that's it. It's over. Mm -hmm. Draw the line in the sand. Now, because Matt Ryan's not old yet, like nobody's, nobody's starting the narrative today that Matt Ryan's declining. (laughs) He, but he is in his worst season per PFF grades, worst season since 2009, his second year in the league. 74.2 74.2 overall grade as of now. Bunch of great, bunch of uh, three games under 60, bunch of games under 70, a couple high end games there. And as I mentioned earlier in the season, he's only left the friendly confines of a dome once. Is that concerning? Matt Ryan's regression here. I know he's battled injuries and all that stuff, but in the O line hasn't been great. But it's not like. Usually you can mitigate the old line when you have great weapons and guys that can get open quickly. And I think they have that, but maybe it's not meshing with Dirk Cutter and the system that likes to get the ball down the field a little bit more. Like something's off this year, obviously. I think that's part of it. Um, they should have a better quick game than they have given the people that they have, the, the receivers that he has to throw to. Right. Julio Jones, um, Calvin Ridley in particular can get open in a hurry. They've got guys that should be able to get the ball to pretty quickly without exposing him to those kind of problems. And yet they don't run that much of that, which I think is a big part of the issues there. Um, Obviously the offensive line we talked about is still a problem. They're going to get in trouble when they have to hold the ball for a period. And Matt Ryan feels like one of those quarterbacks where when the physical decline does begin, it's going to hit him harder than most people. Yeah. Because it's not like he was ever particularly physically dominant, but I just don't see... I don't see enough other things about his game to offset the inevitable physical decline the way you do with some other quarterbacks. Yeah, it's so I don't the physical decline thing is is a good discussion because it's easy to again in a black and white world to think, well, okay, if you lose arm, throw it earlier or whatever it is. But I think a lot of it truly is your confidence in your in your ability to throw the ball, your ability to throw the ball off platform. And I'm, again, I'm not saying Ryan's declining or anything like that, but he's been a tick slow in his decision making this year. Whether it's throwing the ball into coverage, he's taken he's taken as much as the O line's been bad, he's taken sacks he shouldn't be taking. He took a bunch of fourth down sacks mm-hmm. in games earlier this year. There's something in his decision making that's different, and I wonder if that coincides with a lack of confidence somewhere physically. I think one of the things one of the great 
things that extends players' careers when they do start to decline, however it manifests itself, is the ability to for that player to recognize what's happening and know how to change their game to keep going. Yeah. So with Manning, we saw it in real time where he worked out that he could no longer th- have, he no longer had the arm to throw those seam passes that he made a career out of in, in, in Indianapolis. He like realized that in the course of a couple of weeks when he went to Denver, completely changed his game and extended his career by another couple of years. Not just extended it, but played arguably the best couple of seasons of his career um, at the end before he before his uh, physical tools completely fell off the cliff and he just walked away at the end. Brady, I think, has changed his career as well as he or has changed his playing style as he's gone on. There are certain players that understand what's happening to them and can change what's happening or can change their game to minimize the effect that it has. Matt Ryan doesn't strike me as a player that's going to be particularly good at that because I don't know that he's ever had a particularly tight grasp over exactly what he's doing from a physical standpoint anyway like he's 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 able to play the game at an extremely high level but it's like it's maximum runtime right that's yeah. it, everything about him is dedicated to just getting the ball where he needs to get it and sometimes there are plays all throughout his career where it's like that's a mistake you probably shouldn't be making he's really he is really good in the timing and rhythm passing game so right. the point is if if that timing is off a touch, if he yes. does lose a little bit of that zip, does that change things? Because, you know, the the timing post, the deep out and all that, like he does that. He does some right. difficult things and make him look he's made him look easy throughout his career. So I think that's a good way of describing it. Right. Is that he is at his best in a offense that has timing and rhythm and anything that disrupts that causes Matt Ryan to go downhill rapidly. Now, that can be a bunch of things. Right. It can be the offensive scheme now asking for longer developing stuff it can be the offensive line putting him under pressure because they're worse than they used to be or it can be the fact that he is no longer or his physical tools start to diminish and the entire thing starts to disrupt itself i would suggest that any of those things happening cause matt ryan to sharply decline in play level and one of them may be a permanent thing that actually needs adjustment internally well something to keep an eye on matt ryan's worst grade since 2009 they didn't they didn't run the table falcons are out this is true thought they had a chance they sucked me in Mm -hmm. they sucked me in for two weeks i was like this this is the falcons team rookie mistake and just just to wrap up the ryan thing again i do i do kind of hate when people wrap quarterback performance they just grab a bunch of stats and then create a narrative off of it. Well, the quarterback stats are down, therefore he must be worse. I think Matt Ryan is, he shouldn't be declining because of the playmakers he's throwing to. Or his stats shouldn't be declining. The offensive line is an issue though. So I still, I mean, you could still get a lot out of him if if you've got the right pieces there. I'm just mostly concerned that he's still throwing to Julio and Calvin Ridley and Hooper in the backs. I mean, they they should be more productive. Yeah. Offensively. Yeah. And that's the least of the Falcons concerns. Probably. It's very difficult to completely isolate any one thing from everything else. Right. It's all interlinked and you have to have some appreciation for what's happening around the quarterback, not just the quarterback. Yes. Completely agree. All right. Let's move on to what's next. Denver. Yeah. The Battle of the Allens. (sighs) Josh wins. He did. Buffalo 20. Denver three. Yeah. Another dominant performance by the Buffalo defense. And I suspect, though the grades aren't locked and in yet, that based off the preliminary numbers, Brandon Allen would no longer be the best graded Allen at quarterback in the NFL because he was 
pretty horrendous. Um, and Josh Allen, not being incredible, was still better, vastly so. I uh, think um, Josh and Kyle split all of the Allen production yesterday. Yeah. Well, Josh certainly and Brandon Kyle didn't get any of it. Brandon got zero. Yeah. It was about 50-50 Josh and Kyle. Brandon, I think, set some kind of record for futility in terms of like m- largest number of attempts to get 80-something yards. Rogers probably challenged him. 25 attempts and he got 82 yards. His passer rating when kept clean was 19. That's not great. No. Also, 19 with two and a half yards per attempt. I'm completing 32%. Rogers threw for 104 on 33 Uh, attempts. Yeah, that was pretty bad too. On 41 dropbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Allen had 31. Anyway. um, Yeah, I just think, you know, Buffalo's defense, man, it's just, it's not. It's really not flashy. I, I cannot. I know they've had a few blips, but that's what happens on defense. I can't give enough credit to Sean McDermott and that entire coaching staff just because of what they've built since 2017. Yeah. Like it, we always talk about how difficult defense is to sustain and they continue to, to, to sustain their their coverage unit with yeah, Tredavious White is a star on the back end or a potential star. You know, he has his challenges. Right. Remember weekend, how weekend, everybody was crowning Cortland Sutton a week or so ago um, because he was going up against the Vikings cornerbacks that kind of suck right now. Yeah. Tredavious White was targeted seven times against Cortland Sutton, gave up one catch for 27 yards, had an interception and two pass breakups. Yeah. So Tredavious White caught as many passes in coverage as Cortland Sutton did. Plus, he broke up a couple. I mean, I, I also I hate to bring up the weather thing, but it, it, I don't even know. It's, you're playing in Buffalo in November, but you've, you when you are in pristine conditions in a dome, even just going back to the Matt Ryan thing, like you do play with this level of confidence. You know where the ball's going. Like there are no extra. There's no way like watching Russell Wilson throw the ball yesterday threw the ball well and there's a million drops and Brady threw the ball well and there's a million drops and Dax missing throws by a mile. Like the weather really does affect things. So in our Josh Allen analysis, you know, over the next few years, I think we have to factor that in the difficult conditions in Buffalo. And I think Brandon Allen going from the dome against the Vikings, even with the lesser cornerbacks to playing outdoors in Buffalo is not easy. No, it Brandon also, Allen doesn't have the tools to maybe overcome it either. Right. But it also, I mean, Brandon Allen wasn't all that a week ago either. I mean, there were a couple of right. where Cortland Sutton went up and mossed people. Right. That didn't happen this week because he's playing Tredavious White. He was better. Anyway, the, uh, the Bills get good performances from Matt Milano, Teron Johnson. You mentioned Tredavious White. I mean, this is kind of their MO, right? One week it's Levi Wallace. The next week it's Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. You just never know where it's going to come from in yeah. Buffalo. And they're now, now they're eight and three overall. That defense has been really impressive consistently. Um, and the offense was able to get enough done. They finally connected on one of those deep Josh Allen to John Brown passes. that has been there all yeah. season long. Poor old Chris Harris, by the way, has been running a gauntlet of who's who of fastest people in the NFL. We said that was the matchup right to all, watch yeah. all season long. The dude has been stuck covering like these absolute speedsters when he didn't get a speedster, it was Stefan Diggs. Like it's not like even when he gets a break from fast guys, it's an easier day at the office. Like when he doesn't get a speedster, he gets one of the best route runners in the NFL. And like honestly, there may not be any cornerback that's had a tougher run of guys to try and cover than Chris Harris. And even this week, all right, he got beat once, um, you know, badly by John Brown for the touchdown, but only gave up two catches for thirty nine yards and a touch and a score. Um like he's just had such a horrible run of 
He believes in Vince covering. Yeah, poor yeah, corners have it tough sometimes. Right. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, we're not that far removed from people bitching at him for being just a slot guy, you know, doesn't play, you know, doesn't cover the best. Like this year he has had the Darrell Rivas, Patrick Peterson gig of you're taking the best guy every week and that's your job. So this is, I mean, we always talk about coverage is, isn't stable. And one of the reasons it's just, this. it's an, it's an unstable position in general, but it is dependent on who you're going up against. Like you are kind of at the mercy, even though you have games where it's like, Hey, this corner shut down that receiver and all that stuff. Sometimes the receivers are just, they're just too good. It's a tough, right. it is a tough stretch, but also there's a huge in terms of um, there are a few positions, I think, where the variance in your assignment is as can be as wide as it is in, in playing cornerback. Right. Yeah. Effectively, two starters for two different teams can go as far as you get the Chris Harris job at one end of the scale, which is you are facing the best wide receiver the opposition has to offer every single week. And depending on your schedule, that can be an absolute nightmare run of players. Man, that was why. Yeah. Like, that can be a... 9 Revis. Right. A back-to-back-to-back-to-back run of all pros, right? At the other end of the scale, it can be you play right cornerback, which gets targeted less often because the other guy's terrible, and you essentially just stay there regardless of who lines up. And depending on who the offense pulls, puts over there... Nomdi? Yeah, depending on who the offense puts over there, you might really not have an awful lot to do. Yeah. And when you do have it to do it won't be that hard because you're covering you know bad players like the the two ends of the scale there can be vastly different and this year poor old chris harris is on the crappy end of that and he's still playing well i mean he's getting beat you know he's given up a couple of touchdowns he's given up a pass rating of 100 which is by far the highest rate of his career or the highest figure of his career dating back to his rookie season um but that you know he's got this is by far the toughest year of his uh career in terms of assignment and he's still holding up pretty well now i don't want to take anything away from the bills being eight and three okay but when you look back through their schedule their most impressive win was against the titans and marcus mariota 14 to 7 back in week five they've beaten the dolphins twice the redskins giants bengals jets I mean, there's just not much in there. Denver now. So the eight and three Bills still have to play at Dallas, Baltimore, at Pittsburgh, at New England, and then the Jets in week 17. So where do you think the eight and three Bills finish up? They might only win one or two more games. Yeah. I mean, they've done a nice job winning the games that they should win. Other than they lost to the Browns 19 to 16. They lost to the Eagles, lost to the Patriots. I mean, they lost to the better teams. This seems like a strange season in terms of the variance in people's run-ins. Like, there's a lot of, uh, maybe it's just a quirk of the scheduling, but there's a lot of teams um, that are in similar positions that either face an absolutely brutal run-in or a cakewalk. You know what I think it is? So the NFL tries for parity by giving first-place schedules and last-place schedules. The problem with that is there is sometimes there are some years where things just flip so right. much and it's like, worst, oh, you have a first first right. worst. That happens a lot in the NFL. Has that really happened this year? So the Bills are playing a last place schedule. So first off, they're playing the NFC East. And so that contains the Giants, Redskins, Eagles and Cowboys. 
I think we thought that the Eagles and Cowboys were going to be good. The Giants and Redskins were so you get the Giants and the Redskins there, fine. But the last place schedule component, which is like the Bengals, right? Or they're playing the they're playing that entire division. Like who else is the last place team that they're playing here? Sorry, I don't know. I'm trying to look on a mm. or the second place team that they're playing here. I just think the schedules worked out well for them. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That was a well-formed thought. Cut that out. Cut it out. Yeah. Oh, wait, we're live. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, Buffalo, 20 to 3. Let's move on. Yeah. 19-14, Bears. Damn it. Over the Giants. I but. knew I shouldn't have entrusted a win to Daniel Jones. You took the Giants? I, I did. didn't take the Giants, did I? No. I, this was the one where, remember the preview thing? I was asking if I was crazy to take the Giants. Oh, they yeah. really should have won this game. But relying on Daniel Jones was a mistake I should have seen coming. And I won't do that again. Never. Never going to do it again. Still the turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. Showing up. Two of them this week. I'll say, though, that fourth and 18 seam route, Golden Tate, that was one of the best throws of the weekend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was peak Daniel Jones equals Jameis Light. Yeah. Right? He is. is Daniel Jones Jameis. Daniel Jones maintains his spot in second in the NFL in terms of turnover-worthy plays, which, bear in mind, he didn't start the season is impressive um still five behind Jameis, though yeah it's tough to do uh you know he's a rookie you know there's still some some positives i i could still i'm envisioning the year where they put the pieces around him and jones puts together a big season i could see that yeah i'm not saying this the same way <laughs> this is what i say about Jameis. Mm-hmm. but you can kind of see this thing happening right yeah i will say there's definitely some impressive stuff there um, he does have some big throws here and there, not as many as he needs to, given how many mistakes he's making. Um, but this was this was annoying to me because I thought the Giants could and should have won this game and ultimately didn't end yeah. up doing it more because the Bears are just not good. This was kind of an inc- look. Trubisky, Trubisky had his ups and downs. He, he had some pretty good plays in here, too. Trubisky looked um, in rhythm early on. You know, made some nice plays and everything, but the the Giants' defense was getting. They were getting. We talked about their run defense being solid. A lot of guys graded well there, but they were getting plays and coverage from everybody. DeAndre Baker even made plays. Julian Love had that nice interception. I mean, they they were getting plays from everywhere. I think that Allen Robinson needs to be given some kind of lifetime achievement award. Um, we've talked about it endlessly. His run of ridiculous quarterback issues. Trubisky hit him in stride on the deep over route. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but his ability to consistently produce, given what's coming his way, is kind of amazing. Yeah, he had six for six for 131. May have hung Trubisky out on that interception, though. Mm-hmm. Kind of gave a little extra shimmy, and Alec Ogletree made a nice play in the end zone. This is like a full game of guys you don't like, huh? Trubisky, Jones, Ogletree. Well, yeah. Also, David Mayo, though. Oh, Mayo offsets things. Was pretty dominant in this game. Um, this was Khalil Mack's best game for a while. He'd been quiet the last couple of weeks, and then going up against the Giants' offensive line is going to help. So, bounce back with a ton of pressure. Um, pretty good game against the run as well. When Khalil Mack is on fire, that defense is an awful lot better. Yeah. This uh, This also felt like a game... And they only scored 19 points. Trubisky threw two interceptions. One may not really have been on him. Another one was a bad force. But he had a seam route dropped. He may like the the offense was in pretty good rhythm early, but then they, you know, tapered off. Mm-hmm. This this as a game felt like Bears fans 
having their little roller coaster of emotions like, oh, maybe maybe this is it. Maybe he's turning the corner. Maybe maybe things are getting a little bit better. And that's like down again. They should have scored a lot more points against the Giants. Well, yeah, the Giants are pretty bad at football. Um, so generally speaking, that's true. Saquon Barkley hasn't topped 100 rushing yards since week two. Yeah. Uh, in that time, he has averaged, he has had games in which he has averaged 1.3 yards per carry, two, 0.1, and uh, a couple in the threes. Hasn't topped four yards a carry once since that game. Um, this is kind of evidence for why you don't take a running back at two. Because yeah. if the situation around him isn't good, he won't be able to make anything happen. I mean, there's there's a few like high end ways of doing this. You just look, oh, look at just you look at yards per carry or even yards per touch versus yards per attempt. Who affects the game more? And then it's like, all right, we've got a couple weeks ago. We had a big comeback situation for the Panthers, right? MVP Christian McCaffrey. What's he going to do? I mean, he's not leading the team. It's on the quarterback. We We know it's always going to be on the quarterback in that time he's broken 14 tackles um just it, it like it's it really is running backs to such a large degree are a product of their environment and it's so hard to overcome that if the environment is bad um and it, right now it's bad so in order to justify or not even justify in order to make the most out of the talent that saquon barkley undoubtedly has you now need to get an awful lot of things right on offense for yeah. that to happen because right now he's just not able to be a massive factor in these games. Consequently, they're not winning. Yeah, Giants O line got got whooped. Yeah, up front. So Bears nineteen to fourteen, keeping their hopes alive. Uh, I doubt it. All right, you doubt it. Yeah, David Mayo. I think had double the number of stops. Anybody else in this game had? So my linebacker of choice in this game, Nick Kwiatkowski. Hmm. Also had a solid game, too. Really nice pass breakup over the middle. He's playing well. I mean, it was reasonable. It was no David Mayo, but whatever. Nobody is David Mayo. Too right. All right, let's spend a minute on this game. <laughs> Steelers 16, Bengals 9. Rudolph bench for the Duck. Duck comes in, throws a dime, balling. James Washington. Maybe, ironically, maybe James Washington needs Duck, not the guy that he was playing with in college for all those years. That could be it. Because apparently Mason Rudolph is spectacularly unable to get the ball towards James Washington. Duck comes in, hits him with a dime, and Washington does the rest. Absolutely embarrasses B.W. Webb and William Jackson in the same move. Um, goes all the way. 79-yard touchdown. Boom. Man. Yeah. Steelers defense, man. They have a winning record, the Steelers, with Mason Rudolph and Duck as their quarterbacks. And no receivers, by and large, because Juju hasn't been able to get much done with that revolving door of quarterback ineptitude. And nobody's been able to get the ball to James Washington, despite playing with him throughout college. You know, Deontay Johnson's had some games, but like this is kind of amazing that this team has a winning record. So they've, by the way, I got word that the Bills had a third place schedule and it was the Broncos and Titans who were on there. One and one. So you, off you that made a full mess of that. I think the bigger thing is you just you also just play whatever the next division is and whatever that division looks like. You you play the, the, you play the AFC North if you're the Bills and you play the NFC East and you're kind of at the mercy of what they're trotting out there. I would suggest you might want to steer clear of uh, schedule talk for. Well, let's discuss the Steelers' schedule <laughs> because you you know they've got two wins against the Bengals. Well steered. Two wins against the Bengals. They beat the Chargers. 
So they've beaten the Bengals twice and the Dolphins once. Yeah. On their, among their three wins. That'll help you get to three wins. You know, nice win against the Chargers. Nice win against the Colts with Brian Hoyer coming in. They kind of dominated the Rams mm-hmm. defensively. So that was impressive. Their losses came to the Patriots, Seahawks, 49ers. That's a rough stretch to start the game, start the season knowing what we know now. And and then they lost to the Browns. Yeah. Bengals putting an iron tight the Ravens. An iron tight grip on the number one overall pick. They now have a two game lead. It seems pretty unlikely that somebody's going to overcome that. If for no other reason, then it's looking pretty unlikely the Bengals are going to win games. Yeah. Um, but this Steelers schedule, with with four of their five losses coming to some of the best teams in the league, yeah. Patriots, Seahawks, Niners, and Ravens. The Bengals' offensive line is bad enough that that Steelers' defensive front just dominated. They Ryan, did. Ryan Finley's uh, big-time throw-to-turnover-worthy play ratio in this game. Zero big-time throws. Uh, five turnover-worthy plays, which led the NFL. That's um, kind of an issue. Yeah. He threw as many turnover-worthy plays as Jameis and Josh Allen combined. Yeah. Um, let Jameis me just, and, jo- and Daniel Jones combined. Not good. No, not his, good at all. His is, his is a physical tools limited. I'm not saying there aren't bad decisions in there, too, yeah. but you're, you're definitely lacking. He also remains... Com- like This is... This will remain a winless situation for no, the quarterback in terms of they have maybe the worst offensive line in the NFL and he has no shot. But, like, you know, there are people now, Chase Young this past weekend at Ohio State, another dominant outing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that dude is unblockable. He's going to have the highest defensive grade we've ever given a college player. He should not be the number one overall pick for the Bengals. <laughs> Honestly, I don't care if you can guarantee me 15 years of Lawrence Taylor. That doesn't move the needle unless you have a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. There are no pass rushers who come in and turn a franchise around. And I know somebody's going to say Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa came in and the Niners went from worst to first and all this stuff. A lot of other factors happening with the 49ers, including like having their starting quarterback there. Yeah. And, you know, a coverage like the coverage unit being so much better and D Ford, all these other, you know, the other guys playing well too. Chase Young's not turning around the Bengals. Now that now there's less of a, chance that a Joe Burrow or a Tua with his injuries and Herbert like those guys could be busts but they have a much better chance of making an impact than a Chase Young so if anybody's telling you Chase Young needs to be the number one pick they're wrong what do you think it takes to go from 33 to two in what in in, in the draft trade capital from 33 yeah to two who's at 33 well they will be right Oh, you want? Oh, you're saying so? Take Burrow number one, and then yeah, try and Chase get all Young. the way back to two for Chase Young. I wouldn't do it. Well, obviously, but I'm curious what that would take because there isn't there is a, a couple leg- first rounders. <laughs> there isn't genuine possibility that Chase Young may be a new Aaron Donald, right? Or a new a new generational defensive talent. I agree with you that it's still not worth taking over a quarterback because unless you have the quarterback, it won't make a blind bit of difference. On the other hand, if you do have the quarterback, I you take Burrow. Number He's a nice one. player. Yeah, if you do have the quarterback, that could make a real difference. Yeah, it's just Khalil Mack. Is he really making the difference this year you with the quarterback? quarterback. Right. So if you did have the quarterback. 
they still make the same level of difference. No, I don't think they do. Of course I think, they do. No. Their once, level of production is the same. Once you have the quarterback, the that perception so much. No, I think once you have the quarterback, the impact on that defense makes a significant difference. No, here's the other way of looking. I've always been the draft good players guy, mm. and now I need to draft valuable players. The fact that it's easier to predict pass rushers, even though they're harder to find in rounds three and four, like at PFF, we've got a pretty good history of finding good pass rushers in the middle rounds from Trey Flowers to Carl Lawson to Chase Winovich. Uh-huh. And just on paper, even if Chase Young is Lawrence Taylor, the difference between Lawrence Taylor and, say, a Trey Flowers or a Carl Lawson or even a Chase Winovich is still kind of minimal. Even if the play-by-play production is huge, the actual value behind it isn't. So that's why I think there's this strategy of get those high-value positions early, of course, quarterback, and your, and your coverage unit and all that stuff. And then use the fact that you can find, like unlock gems of pass rushers based off our grading in the middle rounds. Mm. There you go, Bengals. Let me be your GM. I can turn that thing around by not drafting Chase Young first. I'll have a bidding war for him, though. We, can, we get a, can we get Booger on the show and you can debate him as to whether who's going to go number one? Oh, gosh, that would such, just be bad. I, I would enjoy that a lot. Call him up. Call Booger. I'll do it. Solly must have his number. We'll call yeah, him up. I talked to Booger a few years ago. Yeah, well, there you go. We'll get him. We had a little phone he conversation. He definitely wants Chase Young to go number one. Of course It'd he does. It'd be a great conversation. People, so that's our one minute about that. We'll talk game. about the draft later. Speaking of the draft, the Dolphins lose. Now, Browns 41, Dolphins 24. We said this could be the game where, uh, you know, Baker looks nice. Right. Turns out if you play the Dolphins every week, you might actually justify the hype that was surrounding the team heading into the year. 41-24. Um, yeah. Could have been worse. It could and probably should have been. Um, monster games from Jarvis Landry, from Nick Chubb, and Baker look good. Yeah. Again, turns out all you need to do is play the Dolphins. They are who we thought they were. Against when Miami. they play the Dolphins. Yeah. I don't have much else to say on this one. <laughs> couple, um, couple downfield dimes from uh, from Bake. Yeah, I, look, this was the, this was the explosive explosive passing game we kind of expected though. Yes, I so obviously there's the giant caveat that it's against Miami. But I do think that it there is I do think you have to be encouraged by the idea that this at least is this at least does still exist somewhere, right? It's not that everything we saw last year was a complete mirage. We got to sanitize this thing. Well, yeah, if you're going to start sneezing into this stuff. Can I just put my initials on it? That was bad. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, make sure that that's labeled that it's yours. Do so other people on live TV sneeze? What do they do? I mean, Look, I'm a professional, but I'm like not that professional. I don't have to do like two hour live shows. Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen somebody just let rip and sneeze. I think they have a signal to the producer, like get me off camera. Let me. It must be right. If you you got to have some some way of making sure that the close up is on someone else, so that you can just <laughs> rip. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what it is. Anyway, carry We're, on. We have the one camera position, so you're just on. I'm screwed. I'd have to go off camera you like you do. I mean, you just leave all the time. You're off camera half the show. I've done it twice, and it's only ever at the start of the end. I don't leave to sneeze. Having said that, right, turns out right now half of me is off camera anyway. I'm not even in the shot. Let's, uh, let's shimmy to the side here. Should fix that. All right, there we go. I'm in. Part of, sort of. We're very professional here. This yeah, is this is going well. I love it. Uh, well so I'm saying that I think it's encouraging that this 
offense does at least still exist, right? The, the Baker. Now there's still some bad stuff in there. Damn it. He's inaccurate the way he didn't used to be, which yeah. is kind of annoying, but there were some big plays in there. Jarvis Landry made some big, like I, this, the fact that the, this, the fact that the brands are capable of this kind of performance, I think is encouraging. Now they just need to work out how to do it against better teams. But I oh, think yeah. it's better than if they'd gone into this game and you still saw the same disjointed, not on the same page, who the hell knows what's happening to this offense chaos that we've seen the first um, 11 weeks of the season. Like at least we're seeing something You're like, okay, fine. This now we just need to like, you know, uncover all the crap around this and get back down to the gem, but it's at least there. The Browns have now won three straight yeah. They beat the bills, the Steelers, and now the Dolphins, Dolphins pretty handily, but the Bills and Steelers, two teams with winning records, mm-hmm. and the, a lot of the narrative around the Browns was like, wait till the second half when the schedule does ease up a little bit, because in the first half, they did they played the Rams, who were yeah. you know maybe better in the first half of the season. They played the Ravens, they played the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Patriots. The schedule stuff does matter for them, too. They still have Cincinnati twice. They got Pittsburgh again at Arizona, and they have Baltimore again. I mean, this is a, you know, four or five win possibility here. If they win, you know, four more games, they're sitting there at nine. Yeah. And it's not as lost of a season as you as you thought. I don't know that the record was ever the biggest problem um, in oh. terms of, you know, people in terms of the hysteria around the Browns. I think the record didn't help because. You know, coming into the season, they were favored to win the division. Some lunatics were talking about the Super Bowl for them. You know, the hype had gotten out of control. So the record was terrible. It obviously looked really bad. I think the bigger problem was the performances that were being put out. It's like, this is just, this does not look like a team that's capable of doing anything. Um, So the fact that the performances are able to turn around a bit and at least show signs of life and encouragement, like people were writing off baker mayfield as a busted flush earlier in the season it's like oh everything we saw last year was clearly just a myth like this this guy doesn't have it at all and now you know we're seeing stuff where he's dissing reporters and like you know it was getting ridiculous um so just to sort of get people back onto sanity i think this is an important run of results and now we can actually start to see all right what can this team achieve in 2020 and going forward because we have built, you know, the component pieces are all here. We just need to structure it in some way that actually produces consistent performances. So what if I compare this a little bit to the Kirk Cousins situation where you sign Kirk Cousins for three years? Yeah. And immediately year one, you're just like, all right, produce. Be what we expected you to be. And there were a lot of ups and downs mm-hmm. last year. Vikings don't even make the playoffs. And in a vacuum, you're just like, well, we made the playoffs and the Uh, nearly made the NFC championship with Case Keenum and we lost with another, they made the NFC championship with Case Keenum. Forgot that they beat this. Yeah. Make the NFC championship with Case Keenum. And then we don't even make the playoffs with Kirk cousins. Mm -hmm. Right. But like when you sign a guy, I mean, when, when teams have hope, it's not just for year one, it's because they're building something for multiple years. I mean, I think we're going to come into next year with similar expectations for the Browns, because I think on paper they're going to look good. We're going to come into next year and we're going to talk about the eight and eight or nine and seven Browns as, you know, competing with the Ravens for the division. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's going to happen. And then cousins in year two, like, you know, he started to live up to what they expected or what they wanted. You know, things were, 
we could be sitting here a year from now and, you know, Baker's back on track and Odell Beckham's a top three wide receiver again. And the defense has some playmakers that we expected them to have. So it's almost you know, like the roller coaster that I draw over here. That's everybody's takes and perceptions. And like, you know, we're only 12 weeks into this thing. So, yeah, I mean, this is I think the Browns will ultimately end up this season falling short of expectations. Now, part of that is because the expectations became ridiculous by the start of the season. But it's probably going to wind up in a reasonable spot in terms of building for 2020, assuming the overall sort of level of performance continues an upward curve. I still don't understand why they're so completely unable to execute like the simple, <laughs> simple gimmick plays that everyone else does for free yards. Like they made another mess out of like a reverse or something yesterday. It's like, these are the plays that everyone uses. Cause they give you like, they cheat yardage Yeah, and you keep making a mess of them. Like the number of like simple pop passes and stuff that Cleveland have turned into like turnovers or just blown up plays because people dropped the ball this year is ridiculous. And that is part of why the perception is so different from reality is that like, stop doing that. Yeah. Like that's, those are plays that you can't legislate for because they're supposed to be like, they're ugly plays, ugly losses in there. Yeah. You expect people to be able to catch a pass that's popped right in front of them. Uh, Joe Schobert balling out in recent weeks. He's now over the last two weeks got two four picks. Linebacker Joe Schobert for the Browns. Four picks and three pass breakups. This isn't the NFL where that's like double counted. That's seven complete different plays. Right. Now one of them in this game was like top, you know, batted to him. Yeah, yeah. It's just so. it's just trying to you know, he's he's been an in and around the football in the last two years. He's he has developed into a pretty solid, useful player mm-hmm. for the Browns. So forty one to twenty four. Do you have anything to say about the Dolphins? Uh, no, the, um, the Nick Needham hype. He's not, he's not going to make my best rookies video this week. No, this week. No. Um, Worst game of his career. The Ryan Fitzpatrick thing finally derailed itself. I mean, that was inevitable. Right? Not according to QBR. He still played well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had a good game. Rushed, rushed for a few yards. He, uh, he completed passes for 214 yards and threw two interceptions. Yeah. He didn't grade well for us. His passer rating under pressure was three. QBR likes him. All right. Uh, Saints 34, Panthers 31. Weird game. Long game. Yeah. It's like a college football. They're even saying on the broadcast, this feels like a college football game. This game, yeah, it did feel like it should have been over about an hour before it ended. So the Saints offense was moving the ball at will. The Panthers were kind of hanging tough in there. Then Breeze throws a fourth quarter interception to give the Panthers even more life while they're up. They're up seven fourth quarter interception. Then the Panthers drive down and the Panthers are doing everything they can to not put the ball in the end zone. And then they're getting they even got a pass interference overturned mm. in their favor. And they, were, they still couldn't put the ball in the end zone. They kept having to settle for field goals. And, you know, they hit one and then they missed a potential game tying field goal. There's a game winning uh, go ahead field goal. There's something kind of amazing about the play that they they find, the play that they choose to actually overcome and install pass interference on. Like I think it probably was pass interference, but judging by the standards we've seen based off the other one this season, including in this game, there was one earlier to Jared Cook. Yeah. Um like of the standards that have been set so far this season, for that play to be the one they go, "Yep, there's pass interference. Let's let's overturn this and, and put a penalty out there." 
was insane. The fact that it then happened to the Saints, like the team that this rule was instituted because of, like actually you're going to get stung by it. I And then, you know, the Panthers missed the field goal. The jacked kicker. Did you see the state of that guy? I wasn't really paying attention. Kicker rolls out there with like biceps the size of your legs, like looking yoked. My yeah. eyes are always like in and out. And once once there's a kick, I'm more into watching other stuff or other, yeah. other games. And then it's like, just let me know if the kick goes through. So I don't pay attention to nah, any kickers. Kicker was jacked. Like, you well, know, the way help. people used to you rag on Brady, uh, Brady Quinn. It's like yeah. you are too jacked to be a quarterback. It's obviously causing problems. You have two. Your muscles are too big. You can't possibly have sound mechanics with those biceps getting in your way. This is like the kicker rolls out there having spent like the last six months of his life doing curls and then just shanks the kick off to the right. But there was a flag on the play. Yeah. Marcus Davenport leaped a guy and that felt like it felt like the refs got together. They were like, I kind of have a hold, but do you know we're in New Orleans? Do you know we just overturned the official pass interference? Like they'll kill us. Officiating in the league right now appears to be horrendous. Yeah. The thing is, so there's a flag on the play. Well, let's discuss what are the implications of this flag. If we keep this flag. So he leapt clean over the line of scrimmage. That's right? not what they were worried no, about. No, no, I know. But leapt clean over the line of scrimmage, which is only allowed if you essentially clear it, right? Yeah. So if you don't touch anybody, you're okay. Now, his leg kind of came down on the guy at the very end anyway. So you, if you wanted to, you could say that's a penalty. But the only reason he was able to clear the entire line is because the guy to his right grabs hold of the center and keeps him down. Yeah. <laughs> it was a clear, clear holding call. And they got together and were like, nah, we're good. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like, wait, it would be one thing if you hadn't seen it, right? If you just went, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I did. I was looking at the guy jumping over him. I didn't see the hold right to his right that enabled that to happen, but they threw the flag. Right. And then in the course of discussion decided that, you know what, we're just going to pick it up. That's, that's okay. Yeah. Cause I think the discussion was like, we're in New Orleans. Dude, I, they invented this pass interference thing. We just overturned a pass interference against them. This is why. You're was, saying this is like a pure makeup call. Yeah. It's like, like, uh, we, we screwed them on the last one. Let's let's give like them this, this poor one. fan base. Like, just, I've heard them boo. They boo pretty strong. Official. They're really anti-official right now. Officiating right now is is an absolute dumpster. This fire. is why we've, we've talked with Eric about. Um, Dr. Eric Eager over here Doctor. about some, you know, what what makes for home field advantage. And I think intuitively you talk about home field advantage and it's like, well, crowd noise, right? You know, you, you know your snap count on offense and it's difficult for the away offense to, to get off the ball in time. So the defense gets a little bit of a of a push. But Eric keeps coming back to like it's kind of penalty driven as well. Like this there is this human element and influence to call fewer penalties against the home team and to call more perhaps against the away team to be influenced by the surroundings. And this might be an example of that. I'm not saying things are corrupt or anything like that. I just think it's more just the way humans operate. And I think it's kind of ingrained into that. Here's why a team's getting three extra points on the road when it comes to spreads. I mean, at home. Yeah, I just, I'm, I, like I say, I can't understand how you look at that, having seen it and pick up the flag. I get not seeing it in the first place. Pereira actually had a good explanation. It's almost like it would be the first time you can kind of hold him down a little bit. You can't like grab and yank or something to that effect. You had whole like terminology for it. Because huh. you because we see defensive. I, I don't think fans see this all the time. But like when we're grading games, 
we see defensive holding all the time yeah. where the nose tackle very subtly will go grab the center keeps them off the linebacker and the linebacker zooms in for the play like the guys get away from that uh the get, they get away with that more now because of the way the umpire is behind the classic justin smith alden smith duo justin that got smith. called last night for the niners right. justin the smith niners. would pile into people grab yeah. the, the second guy and alden smith would just he would do this for a free rush he would just do this little hook move on the guard and yeah. alden would come around him but it happens more often in the run game where you just try you're literally trying to hold two blockers together so that a linebacker can be free and there's some subtlety to it and you get away with it and there's ways to get away with it. But once you hook them, you're, you're, you can get called right with this. It's you know, less of a hook. We're talking too much about field goals. Ryan Ramchek has now played 11 games this season and in 10 of them has not allowed either a sack or a quarterback hit. That's pretty good. And one of those was against J.J. Watt, which he didn't allow anything, though yeah. it did hold him. Now Ramchek's once. balling. Teron Armstead got hurt. He only played 10 snaps. That's not great for... Um, for the saints but you know they've always been able to kind of mitigate things with breeze and his quick decision making breeze, breeze looked pretty finally took some shots he did he hit a couple deep balls he had another one that should have been he put one right on ted ginn's hands it got um, yeah broken up four big time throws yeah so he made a few nice throws a couple um he still had a couple of those weird floaty ones but like you know overall right. it was good his average depth of target was 10.7 which is like what three plus yards more yeah. than it's been all three all season long it was different man it's it, i'll tell you what the watching I, I even though in defeat and even though the offense the defense got torched watching luke keekley i mean there was a play you just you just see the wheels turning in his head pre-snap he almost had a pick of breeze they're motioning and Keekley's just like he's bringing he's telling the safety get down here sooner I'm pushing out I'm going to get to this stick route and it's the it's not even a bad read by Breeze it was just such an incredible play by Keekley to even get his hands on it Keekley also had a pass breakup in the end zone on a deep crossing route to Jared Cook I mean I know everybody around him wasn't great but man he yeah. just makes some spectacular plays every single week he also had a really nice play where he absolutely snuffed out um alvin kamara in the backfield somewhere like a quick yeah. pass out to kamara against almost anybody else that's a pretty healthy completion because yeah. not only is kamara catching it but he's not going to make the guy miss because he has a little bit of time keekley's just on him immediately making sure that doesn't go anywhere just looking at the panthers grades right now this looks like old bucks panthers defense grades Gerald McCoy graded well. Luke Keekley graded well. This was like when it was McCoy and Levante right. David. Had like and then everybody guy. else was terrible. Yeah, they had one guy at every level for a period and nobody else. Yeah, that was what happened. So as much as I... That's the tough thing about player evaluation in this thing, right? Like, Luke, you played great. That was awesome. Your team gave up 34 and everybody else was terrible. Yeah. Eric Reed made 14 tackles by our numbers. That's not good no. when you're a safety. It's not good for the team when the safety's making 14 tackles. So the uh, the Raiders hype train came crashing off into a mountain this week. I picked the Jets. Did you pick the Jets? Yes. We both. No, don't do that. We both picked the Jets here. We did. Everybody's reporting that like Derek Carr got benched. Did he get benched? They just didn't want him to get hurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> they sat him down very early. Yeah, but come on. Mike Lennon, by the way, turns out hasn't lost a thing on the sideline. Same old guy steps in, can't even get a snap into his hands before fumbling it. You don't get all ton of reps. Apparently, maybe you should give him more because if you need to turn to him at some point, he needs to be able to at least get a snap into his hands. Jamal Adams had another sack. Yeah, he's legitimately the best pass rusher on the Jets right now. All of their good pass rushing grades other than Kyle Phillips pretty much came from the secondary. He also led the team in pressures with five rushes. Yeah, he did. 
What Henry get? Another two. Yeah. Yeah. What the th- yeah. Standard Henry game. Very Henry. Too precious. I'm, th- <laughs> I'm 38 snaps. Too precious. Two stops. That's what Henry does. Just trucking along. Is he just the Thomas Jones of? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He is the Thomas Jones. <laughs> Henry Anderson is the Thomas oh, Jones love defensive Henry. lineman. Henry's going to play another 10 years Bless at him. that same level. Yeah. Every single game. Just two pressures, two stops, nothing else. <laughs> That's all you. Uh, That's Sam Darnold came back around. This is the other end of the. The heartbeat. The steps are still going up. Well, this is the heartbeat. Thing, the steps right? have gone. The this, he was up here. This is that was this week. Raiders. Yeah, but this week, but he's, he's been go going down again. Steps. Well, yeah, like he's due for a big. It's fall. the EKG. He's gone. Look, he's gone. Went all the way down. This is the Patriots game. And then we got Oak up here, and now we're heading back no, down. Look, so is, whoever we play next week, we're heading back down. It's literal steps. Yeah, I know, but that's what happens. Your EKG does this. So next week, who are they playing next week? No, that's he, still, he still might have another peak in here. No. no you don't think so? No. EKG next week, he's heading back down. So Wentz was terrible. Darnold and Finley was terrible. And Darnold grabs all. It really is the Bengals. Bengals. So it's still going up again. Okay. They play yeah, the Bengals. He's struggle actually. to go back down against the Bengals. So the ginger talent theory holds up remains like Wentz was terrible. Yep. Finley was terrible. Darnold stole all of it yesterday. Mm-hmm. All of it oh. by far. So look, here's what Darnold has. At Cincinnati, we should go say hi. And then Miami at home. Hmm. We might see two more big steps up. I mean, Dan Orlovsky is going to love this. Nobody loves Sam Darnold making like one good throw more than Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> Dan Orlovsky, who I, I I don't mind Dan. He's fine. I think he says some silly things sometimes. I don't mind Dan. He's fine. All right. I don't like trashing people. Well, nice that's, guy. That's, I mean, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Always. But nobody likes to take one Sam Donald throw and then project it as it. That's it. Great read. Now you can see how comfortable Sam Donald is and they're on the same page. Like he'll project it every which way. And all of a sudden, Sam Donald's an all pro. Yeah. Dan Orlovsky is going to have incredible fodder over the next two weeks as Sam Donald tears up the Bengals and the Dolphins. And then he's going to run into the Ravens, Steelers and Bills. Hmm. And it's all going to come crashing down. I'm just going to write the story. I'm, I might, I might do a whole article projecting Sam Darnold's stats over the next five weeks. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's, he's going to tear it up for two weeks, and then he's having, he's going to have a game where he goes twelve for thirty nine. Maybe not that bad, but no, that's Ravens, Steelers, and Bills at Bills too to finish it. Yeah, that's, that's going to be rough. Sorry. Anyway, Sam Darnold's good, good game, encouraging. My, I think the caveat to Sam, like everybody's looking for. Just like the old guys, you're looking for like that line in the sand, right? Like this is the game where things turned around and things are great. Like I would just say, buyer beware so far on Sam. Good what? game at home against the Raiders, poorest secondary. One of his best plays in this game was kind of bizarre. It was where he, so he rolled out or rolled out a scramble out to the left and then like lofted the ball over a linebacker to his receiver. And when you look at it from sort of his viewpoint, you know, but. I don't know why he ever attempted the pass. There's a guy like directly between him and where he wanted to go with the ball, pretty close to where he wanted to go with the ball. Like it was a perfect pass, but it really needed to be if it was going to be anything other than picked off. You get credit for that. That's a good throw. I'm sort of. It's one of those ones where it's. it's That's a, what I liked about Sam coming out. He could make those throws. It's one of those ones where it's it's a really good throw, but I'm honestly not sure it's a positive thing that you even put it in the air. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I, it, it's it's borderline enough that I'm not sure. It, like I've seen throws where I genuinely think it was a bad decision to put that thing in the air, even though you completed it and you put it through some insane window. I don't know that this is that. Like I'm not a hundred percent convinced it was a bad call, but it's it's borderline. Like it was. I don't know why you attempted that pass, given what you were looking at as you were doing it. Now maybe you just didn't have any other alternative, and you decided to take a take a shot, and it worked out. Yeah. But it was just interesting, like to see from the sideline, like from the TV view, it looked pretty open. But when you actually look at it from where he was looking at it, it really didn't. So Sam played well. Card did not. Card just has these games where he just doesn't elevate everybody. All the Jets sort of playmakers showed up. Robbie Anderson had a few big plays. Le'Veon Bell caught some insane thing down the sideline, like yeah. moss somebody to do it um, as a running back, obviously. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah, this was the Raiders really just took all the wind out of their own sails one week before the game that was supposed to be like the showdown in the division. Showdown for the against the Chiefs. Right. You get to go to the Chiefs, only a game back because of the run you just went on, and instead you crapped the bed against the Jets. See, this is just what I don't. So you've got the Raiders playing from behind and Derek Carr's average depth of targets 5.5. This is what this is what boggles my mind about Derek Carr week in week out. You could put his best throws up against anybody. I mean, his best throws are pretty spectacular and he could do it all. A lot of times you put a guy's best throws and it's like like with Tyrod, you're like, oh, these are all go balls, right? A lot of guys have a certain thing that they do well. Derek Carr can literally make all of those, the big time throws different. He could throw the seam. He could throw go with touch. He could drop it on the back end of the end zone and let guys make a play. All this stuff. He could do it all. And then he has games like this. They've had multiple games this year where they, they have done nothing offensively. And it's like, all right, are you even going to like try to make a comeback here? Are you even going to try to force the ball down the field? Use your big arm. Who cares if you throw four picks, you're probably going to lose anyway. It's kind of like the Aaron Rodgers criticism a lot of people make. Like, oh, you know, he protects his stats and this and that. He just completes a high percentage of passes. Not that he did <laughs> yesterday. But, you know, Carr takes take a few shots. I know he's under some heat and all that stuff. But, um, you know, this is just a weird game. Yeah. I d- like, I don't want to celebrate too hard in terms of I was right. Because ultimately. Sure they, you do. They could next week go and beat the Chiefs. And, you know, then we're back to where we started. But. The point we were making of, you know, this team hadn't exactly been conclusively beating anybody. Like, of all their wins this season, none of them had been by more than a score. Now, okay, some of those were because teams got garbage time scores late in the game, but this is not a team that had been dominating people. And the idea that they would eventually have a game where things went the other way was not beyond the realms of possibility, and this was it. Like, yeah. the Jets' defense showed up. It, I mean, the Jets' defense for his... As dominant as this game was, like it, the Jets' defense is not phenomenal. It's not a defense that you should have no earthly hope of. They've done a scoring, nice job this year. Anyway, here's here's the main point, right? It's not like the old BCS college system where it's like, hey, we need to see uh, we need to see margin of victory and stuff like. We need to see uh, you know something that influences us uh, influences us that says that you're good but it's more like margin of victory and stuff it's like if you're that good you'll win more plays than the next team and you'll have some games where you win by a lot when you when you at home against the Bengals and you only win by seven it's a little alarming right I mean this was a team that had that winning record but a losing points differential 
Like right. there was there were signs out there that this team was not as good as their record suggested. And I think this was those signs actually coming to fruition and then yeah. getting knocked off by a team that, you know, good teams should not be getting knocked off by. All that said, that in, was notwithstanding. I think classic old, like when Jack Del Rio was a coach, he used to do this with the Jags all the time. They'd have games like this. Like you lose games you shouldn't lose, but you win games that you should probably shouldn't win. I think the Raiders bounce back and give the Chiefs a really good game next week. I think it'll be a good game. I can see that. I like the Chiefs. I mean, if for no other reason than the Chiefs don't have a defense. So. Yeah, but I think that's kind of like the nature of a mid-tier team like the Raiders. You get your ups and downs. This was uh, this was a dud. Credit the Jets. Um, as bleak as it looked for a while. Adams, one of the Jamal. best pass rushers in the NFL. Love Jamal Adams. Credit the Jets. Going on a little bit of uh, what do they got here? One three straight now after losing to the Dolphins. The Jeff Driscoll-led Lions fell to the Dwayne Haskins-led Washington Redskins. This we get one minute of analysis. One of on. the most depressing games you're ever going to see in your life. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, this I've said before, the tickets for this game were selling for like $5. Are the Redskins the worst team in the NFL to watch this year? Uh, yeah, I think they're the team. Uh, Terry McLaren could have had like 200 yards and three touchdowns in this game if uh, Dwayne Haskins was just capable of putting the ball within the same stadium as him. He was taking selfies. Like the amount of passes that he missed. Now, you sent me a thing saying that his hand or his wrist or something got banged up. Which That's is what he said. So is he making excuses? It's just, you know, adding. Well, it's no like, one. yeah, okay, that might explain this week. But what about all the other weeks? To be, so to his credit, right, at least this week, he was taking the shots. Now, yeah. I, it, they were wide open. So it doesn't necessarily contradict the Tavares Jackson theory I gave last week of a guy who will only put the ball in the air when he sees his guy wide the hell open because Terry McLaurin was wide the hell open for most of the plays. Um, he got the better of the guy covering him most of the time. So it's interesting because if you look at just the numbers, Darius Slay... Three for 10. Right, 10 targets, three catches, 42 yards, and a pass breakup, right, against Terry McLaurin basically the whole way. That looks really good. But McLaren had him toasted multiple times, and Dwayne Haskins just couldn't put the ball anywhere near him. That shows up in the grading. Exactly. Because Slay, despite giving up only 3 of 10, did not grade well. Right. So Slay will get downgraded for those plays, even though his numbers, the end result of those plays, was not bad for the defense. But ultimately, McLaren roasted Darius Slay all week, or all, all game. Which, by the way, is a hell of an achievement when you consider that Darius Slay was able to go one-on-one with Amari Cooper and hang with him. Like, oh, yeah. McLaren did a much bigger number on Darius Slay than Amari Cooper did. And Amari Cooper is one of the best route runners in the NFL. But my point with all this is that Terry McLaren is essentially amazing. And Dwayne Haskins is killing him right now. That's all we needed, right? If you're a Lions fan, in that quest to find the cornerback opposite Darius Slay, mm-hmm. Amani Oruarie, in his first extended action of his career, played pretty well. He didn't have to cover... McLaurin, correct, right? But you know, if you're a Lions fan, you need something to, to keep an eye on. Also, for the rest of the year, Dwayne Haskins throwing the ball, so a huge influence, right? It's a huge influence. But Overwarrie was a guy who, at one point, kind of looked like a first or second round prospect. They got him in the fifth round. Good size, can move pretty well out of Penn State. I'm trying to give the Lions a little bit of hope here. Okay, down the stretch. That's all I got on this game. Yeah. Also, we probably need to mention the selfie gate at the bank beyond your just literal mention of it. I, so I just think it's funny, right? <laughs> I 
Case Keenum had to sprint onto the field to take the final kneel down because Dwayne Haskins, starting quarterback, was taking selfies with the crowd. Victory selfies. Hmm. Now, to, in his defense, the clock had ticked off to zero. Like, they found an extra second to put back on and had to be like, hey, no, no, it's not over. Everyone, like, get back out here to kneel it down. And, you know, so there was reason for him to think that the game was over, essentially. But it just doesn't look good. I will reserve comment. I will say, I'm not going to reserve comment. As much as we grade every single player and every play, and we talk about production, mm-hmm. I've said for a while, when you talk about quarterbacks and kind of how they act and respond to adversity and handle press conferences and stuff like that, sometimes there are hints, positively or negatively. I just think there's, an, op- there's an optics thing, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, I get that there are... It, there's mitigating circumstances. You, I can see why you did it. I also, yeah, I don't want to take emotion out of it. Too. Like, it's cool to be happy. Yeah. You should be happy. You have your first win. Just, and it just doesn't look good when the back of us run on the field because you're taking it's selfies not, with it, the crowd. I'm not going to project it going forward uh, too much. It isn't a good look. You're right. Tennessee Titans 42, Jaguars 20. Mm. Look. Maybe we had an out because we said we don't know what's going to happen, but we said one team could absolutely dominate this game. Yes. And it did. It's what happened. The Titans. Yeah. Jags can't stop Derrick Henry. Well, so this is amazing to me, right? The the last time he went beast mode against this defense, right? He dominated people, ran the length of field, was just stiff arming people left and right. Why do NFL players not understand how to defend a stiff arm? Whoever who was number 26 for the Jags? Why do I not know that number? Who is it? Let me, here we go. 26, Gerard Wilson, right? Yeah. Gerard Wilson would have spent the next 400 yards just running his face into Derrick Henry's hand and wondering why nothing else was happening. Like, how come, I, I, I don't know how many times I can keep doing this. Why does he not fall over? Like, at some point, you have to understand that this is what he's doing. When you come in to make a tackle against a guy who's trying to stiff arm you in the face, the first thing you need to do is swipe his hand down so that it's not there anymore so that you can then get in and make a tackle. Is that how you handle the stiff arm? This is how you defend. Like rugby players understand this intuitively. You see them go in for the tackle and literally in the motion, they swipe the arm down and then come in for the tackle. This guy was just like running face forward, hoping that at some point Derrick Henry's hand wasn't going to be there and he could actually make a tackle. Like, I don't And okay, maybe once, maybe the first time you don't think of it, right? But surely after you've taken one fist to the face, you start to readjust your, your approach. I've got 50 more yards of this. I'm going to need a backup plan because the initial plan just running my face into his fist isn't working. You know who can't handle Derek Henry's stiff arm? Any of the Jags defenders. And our friend Jack Collinsworth. That's true. Jack didn't. He doesn't know how to defend it. No. I feel like he was just letting Derek show him off, you know, show it. But yeah, ESPN last year, Jack, he had a little, that was timely. He was, had Derek Henry, you know, explaining the stiff arm and then Derek Henry's stiff arm and everybody. Jack's giving up quite a lot of weight to Derek Henry. I oh yeah. Thought. Yeah. So, I mean, they, the Jacks did a nice job on Henry in the first matchup, but other than that, oh, this year. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It, right. Earlier this year, but last year, dominated on Thursday Night Football. But even last year, I think they've done a good job bottling him up until that one crazy like 99-yard yeah. run. Uh, it's just, I, I've never seen a guy so completely unaware of what was going to happen for the next 50 yards of just run face first. Like, I don't understand. It is pretty funny. At some point, you're going to need to get that hand out of the way if you have any hope of making this tackle. 
And instead, he was just, no, let's just keep running at it. Another really nice game. Very efficient game for Ryan Tannehill. Speaking of running the ball, I mean, he looked pretty slick. Yeah. On a rushing touchdown. He's got a little bit of that. You know, we talked about a game a few weeks ago where he's a little, he was a little gritty. You know, he went out there and uh, made a few key runs when he needed to. That has been a nice added weapon. I think if you do, I mean, if you're just citing the differences between him and Marcus Mariota so far, intermediate accuracy for Tannehill has been fantastic. And he's made plays outside of structure. He's made some of those, uh, whether it's running the ball when he needs to, making a nice throw. Like he's, he's made a few more outside of structure plays that Mariota was not making. Yeah. There, so there was a period of Ryan Tannehill's career, right at the start, in fact. Things kind of went downhill from that. But like year two, year three, where he was a decent-looking quarterback who the narrative was all positive, right? Because this was a guy who, I don't know if you know or not, Steve, but he used to play wide receiver. He did. Um this was the narrative, right? It's he's young to the position. He used to play receiver in college. He's growing. He's developing. What we've seen so far, he could actually be one of the better quarterbacks from this f- fabled 2012 draft class. And then things stagnated. They went in the wrong direction. Injury struck, and we just got worse and worse. And eventually, you know, we're not good enough for Miami, and we end up as a backup in Tennessee to Mariota. Now... We're starting to see, and to be, it's not like none of that was justified, right? His play was going the wrong direction. He was making, like, things were getting worse. Um, but we, there was this, we did kind of theorize that you, it, it, what he was doing by the end of that period in Miami needed like a full rebuild, needed like a reset to be hit. You know, you sit him down, get him the hell away from the field and start trying to put this thing back together from the ground he, up. He was he was a disaster last year. Right. Despite having decent numbers. Correct. By the way. Um, and the, but he was so bad that it was and it was from a sort of fundamental level. Like you were doing everything wrong. You don't, it looks like Trubisky. Right. Yeah. And it's like you need some time away to be completely rebuilt from the ground up because this is a train wreck. Now. He got that, right? He didn't start this season until like week six or week seven, got into the game week six. Um, So we had some serious time for him to actually put this thing back together. And I think we're starting to see glimpses of that original player where this guy has talent. He's got size. He's got an arm. He's got athleticism. He at least takes the takes the shots that Mariota wasn't taking. Now, there's still some bad in there as well. Like he'll make some mistakes and he'll blow some plays. He's never going to be, you know, a top 10 quarterback, I don't think. But we're talking about a guy that does have the talent to be in that next tier, to be in that mid tier of quarterbacks. That's definitely viable if the situation around him dictates it. So that's the point I want to make, because. There were years, I always like to make this statement, right? That you have a mid-tier quarterback, and if you put everything nice around him, he can have a good year. There's also the part of me that just thinks, maybe there's just a guy that can't elevate the guys around him. Because the Dolphins did, they tried hard to put pieces around him. They went and got Mike Wallace. I mean, they tried. I don't think they ever had a great set of playmakers, but there were points in his run with the Dolphins where you're like, yeah, that's a pretty well-rounded group of receivers. Kenny Stills is there or a big body to throw to and a deep thread and some okay tight ends. Like it wasn't a disastrous group of receivers at all points. And it always reminded me of kind of like Sam Bradford. Like I keep saying, Oh, give Sam Bradford these guys and he'll be okay. But like, is there a point where you're just like, he's not elevating them. But coming into this year, we said Marcus Mariota might have his best group of playmakers, depending on what they get out of AJ Brown. And AJ Brown has been really really good. good, right? 
So depending on what they get out of A.J. Brown, so Brown looks good. You still have Adam Humphreys as an efficient slot receiver. Corey Davis is a nice number two. You get some tight ends to throw to. I don't know that this is the best group of playmakers that Tannehill has thrown to, but he's done a much better job of it, of working with these guys than Mariota at yeah. this point. And it probably is right up there with what Tannehill's had for the rest of his career. So it's working pretty nice. Now, he didn't have to do a whole lot. I So I think he is an efficient game. They are definitely putting Tennessee or he is definitely putting Tennessee into an interesting position of genuinely having to consider going with him as a starter next year. Now, obviously, they're probably going to draft somebody, whatever. Right. But they're starting to get into a position where this is a serious, viable option to roll into 2020 with Ryan Tannehill as a starting quarterback. Like a franchise tag. Right, which in and of itself means you're probably going to need to start thinking about what that looks like contractually. Now, the safest methodology is probably the franchise tag and tell them to do it again. But right, like they may end up committing a decent contract to Ryan Tannehill, tying him down, drop-kicking Mariota out of the door. Uh it's just this is becoming a fascinating scenario. This Ryan Tannehill Titans marriage. Yeah, I might look at him as that. You know, he's a bridge guy. I'm not married to him. You right. know, that, that's that's always my theory. But but he's like he's playing well enough right now that yeah, you might want to ride this in to say okay, there's a chance he's turned completely turned things around. Well, not just that, but I think he's starting to put himself in the position of not a bidding war, but the price is going up, right? Yeah. You're not going to be the only team interested in this guy. And if you just say, hey, we only see you as a short-term bridge option, how does $10 million a year sound? He's going to be like, no. Like, oh, right. Somebody no, no, here true. is going to give me 25 See ya. It goes back to my previous point. I mean, I think there are 32 starting caliber quarterbacks in the NFL. But because there's 32, like you don't want to have 25 to 32. You want to have in the right top half. But, you know from Josh Allen to Trubisky still starting caliber quarterback. Ryan Tannehill's in that mix. As we said, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston are in that. Like there's 32 guys that you're not embarrassed to trotting out there. We'll say the Jags were basically blown out of this from the get go. Um, They were trailing all the way by a lot of points for most of the time. And yet Leonard Williams had 24 carries, sorry, Leonard Fournette had 24 carries and nine receptions. At no point did they ever go away from Lenny as the answer to this deficit, which strikes me as ill-advised. Yeah. Like very quickly in this game, you were in a situation where if we're going to get anything, we're going to need to, you know, start airing this thing out. And instead, they were just grinding Lenny. Well, it's similar to like the the car thing. And there's a lot of checkdowns to Fournette and all that stuff. And when you complete 32 passes for 272, when you're foals, you went one for seven throwing the ball uh, beyond 20 yards. You know, at some point you're down. Just start, just start chucking it up there, man. Yeah. Got to do it. These are the games that like Ryan Fitzpatrick lives for. And yet the Jags were just like, no, let's run Lenny up the gut again. So this is also one of those full stat lines. I mean, not that he would throw the ball 48 times in this type of game, but I thought if the Jags defense was going to get back to 2017 levels, Foles has a lot of those, you know, it's a safe, you know, move the chains every now and again type. It's very game manager type of game. You just don't want to do it when the defense is bad. Mm-hmm. So might be calling for Minshew. Are they going to be calling for Minshew? Are they going to be doing it? No. Nah. All right, let's move on. New England 13, Dallas 9 in the 4 o'clock window. Three games left to get through here. In the driving rain 
in Foxborough. It was windy, rainy, and ugly. Yeah, it was an ugly one. What'd you think of this game? Uh, so this was another game with some pretty ridiculous officiating in it. There were at least two very questionable calls, probably three, that all went against the, all went against the Dallas offensive line. They got called for tripping twice, both of which were terrible calls. And I thought the Tyron Smith one was reasonable. I thought so Tyron Smith got not. done for holding as well, well. He had a trip early too. No, I know they, that was. They called three total trippings. No, two total trippings, one holding. On two of them were on Tyron Smith. Yeah, I thought the first Tyron Smith tripping was reasonable. Travis Frederick one was. That was the first thing he got run into by the stunt guy. I don't know. I, I don't know why. Are you just like? How does tripping all of a sudden like on your radar if you're a ref? Right. Twice. For, and it's not like, yeah, I, I get it if they were both clear and, you know, the, but, uh, the first one, the, you know, the, they ran a, a typical stunt to TE, the tackle in first and the, the end guy looping around. Guy just ran right into Tyron Smith, who, you know, is like when you run into from the side, your leg is going to be like, your leg goes up as your body gets shifted this way. You keep asking. You're like, I don't know the rules of basketball. Explain them to me. Uh-huh. This is one of those blocker charge situations because in basketball you have to be completely square and if the guy runs into you it's a charge yeah but in football you don't i know that it's almost like they were treating this like a a block in basketball where if a guy runs to the side of your body it's you know you're not in position so to speak and they're like for some reason they're calling that if this was tripping you would find tripping and it's this this is like the holding thing right it's like you can find holding in every single game if you're looking for it yeah if this was tripping you could find tripping in every single game multiple times but you don't, so it isn't. Like, this was a standard play where the first guy, the tackle, just plows straight into Tyron Smith, who, as he's getting jacked backwards with the momentum, his leg comes up in the air. That's we're not getting, tripping. We're getting real-time fact-checking um, or research done oh, yeah? from Ben Stockwell. What's he doing? Director of analysis. So far this year, there have been six tripping calls on offenses the entire season. There okay. were two yesterday against the Cowboys. Right. So, put it this way. If this is the standard of tripping... That number should be like six a week, not six in the yeah. season. That part is a little weird. So both those plays are ridiculous. I thought even the holding call was slightly iffy, but I'm willing to concede that that one was iffy but, of the variety that happens every week. The holding call was weird, too, because I thought like during the flow of the play, it seemed fine. But like right as the ball was leaving Dak's hand, it did seem like he had like he had him completely hooked. Right. Yeah. Just from what I saw, I didn't see like a really clean close up angle, but I thought so it was almost like the timing of when the hold happened. I think there was a hold, but it could have been after the ball was gone. So was that still? Yeah. Can you hold after that? Like I say, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't. Anyway, I wouldn't complain about the holding one too much because I think that kind of call, no call, happens every week. But the fact sure. that there were two tripping calls on the Dallas offensive line, both of which were crazy, is insane. Yeah. The second one, by the way, they like kicked it to Mike Pereira in the booth, who tried to justify it. He said he picked his, picked his leg up, and Troy was like. No, Troy like bad. Troy did not was not having any of that was. I mean, it's one thing to make this crazy call in the first place, but to have your booth guy be like, oh, yeah, that's that's completely legit. No, nuts. Then you have Dallas make an absolute mess of the end of this game. You're driving. You need the touchdown. You take the field goal. Even Troy was saying go for it. Right. Everybody was saying go for it. The only person that was not interested in going for it was Jason Garrett, who kicked the field goal leaving them still needing to score a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, you just got to be aggressive in those situations. You just have to be. Right. 
There's just, I, it's very hard to see a scenario whereby kicking a field goal was the better option there. No, especially when, first off, field goals were a disaster in this. New England missed two, Cowboys missed one or two. Definitely missed one early in the game. Right. Anyway, d- everything was a disaster in this game. So you actually needed just more opportunities to score points when they present themselves. Yeah. And it's tough to move the ball in New England's defense. And if you're that deep, you got to go for it. Uh, New England's defense did feel like they were just, uh, you know, letting letting Zeke run a little bit and then cracking down on the pass game where needed. Stephon Gilmore had a huge game. Man, what a pick that was. That was really good. Uh It was tough. Dak had the bad snap, had to recover it, but he throws late on the crosser. Gilmore makes this diving interception where it's like if he just got his hand on it, like that's a pretty good play. That's that's a really good play just to knock it down. I couldn't believe he caught it. Mm Mm-hmm. The rest of the Patriots receivers couldn't catch anything, but he caught that. This is true. Yeah, catching that in the rain was really quite impressive. Um, also, I thought Jalen Smith had maybe his best game of the season. Just flying like he around. was all over yeah. New England players throughout the course of this game. That was pretty impressive. Um, Nikhil Harry had an interesting game. We were talking about this a bit before. Right, the touchdown, it was like, that's the play that he's going to make a career out of, right? Well, we've been Guy, talking about back shoulder fades for him. Right. Guy he was draped all over him. Yep. Perfect pass from Brady, and he goes up, takes it away from the guy, somehow gets both legs down uh, as he's falling in the end zone, touchdown. Like, that is the play you need to make if you're going to be a guy that doesn't get open and, you know, makes a career out of contested catches. Then, there's a play later down the sideline where he's actually open for the first time in his life and drops the ball. Yeah. So, well, that's a problem, right? If you're not going to get open very much, the times you do, you kind of need to catch it. Um, there was a play later on as well where he had a chance to make a contested catch, let it go through his hands. Again, another great pass by Brady. Hit him both hands. You have to make that catch if you're going to be the contested catch guy only. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting. Again, just, so this was rough conditions, obviously, rain, rain, wet weather, et cetera, et cetera. But this really did show up a lack of danger from Patriots receiving weapons. Well, so it's weird because I, th- I thought this was the this was the best Brady threw the ball in weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, tough throwing conditions, but he put one on Jacoby Myers hands. He had seven total drops. I think four or five of which were for for first downs. Edelman had one. He put one on Jacoby Myers' hands on up the seam. You mentioned the Nikhil Harry one. They just weren't catching the ball that well, despite having no Muhammad Sanu and no Philip Dorsett. Edelman with two rare drops. Two rare drops. But we saw Edelman. Um, I'm sorry. We saw like Jacoby Myers, undrafted rookie. Now he had the two drops. Mm-hmm. But he was getting like he gets open. You know, he had a key third down conversion and all that stuff. Harry had that the nice back shoulder play right i mean they were getting some contributions from some other guys i think guys actually edelman got open better than he had in recent weeks they actually got open despite not having sanu or Dosset. a lot of their guys got open better than they had previously they just couldn't catch the ball so brady ends up with a passer rating of 70 completes 46 percent of his passes but seven drops in there seven drops and three throwaways so i mean there was this wasn't Brady hadn't played well the previous week against the Eagles, whatever, and it does feel like just completing passes is difficult for New England's offense at times right now. But I felt like this one was like encouraging for Brady throwing the ball, and you know the receivers kind of let him down yesterday. And even <clears throat> Dak Prescott's going to get tired for you know not getting it done at the end. But that what was it fourth and 
whatever, the last play. Oh, that was spectacular. Puts the ball exactly where it needs to go yeah. in Amari Cooper's hands, isn't able to bring in the catch. Now, well, it's, it was a tough catch, but, you know, Dak put that ball where it needed to be to continue that drive and extend it. I mean, we're in, we're in a world right now where everybody loves talking MVP. And they just, they're looking at the final stat line and exactly. here, like Russell Wilson's MVP hopes. We're going to talk about him in a second. Went down yesterday because the Seahawks didn't score a ton of points. His numbers weren't great, but he was making spectacular throws that weren't caught. Now, Brady's not in the MVP race or anything, but this, this was the best game that he had thrown the ball in a while, but his stats were still bad. So there's going to be this easy narrative, like over the last four games, his stats are poo. So he's terrible. So the weather does matter with all this stuff. You get into this November, December games and it really does influence your perception. You have to be able to separate that stuff. Rain like that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Like, so I am constantly amazed, by the way, that we have yet to crack the technology of wet weather receiving gloves. How can that be that hard? I don't know. So I mean, I have yet to encounter a set of receiving gloves for football that aren't immediately rendered useless yeah, by slick. any form of rain. Right. Um, well, then Dak put the glove on. Right. Which to is throw and he started to throw the ball. A little bit but you see, typically most receivers will take the gloves off when it's raining badly enough because they're just useless. It's actually worse than bare hands yeah. using those receivers gloves. And then somebody else made the point that we're capable of fitting a self-cleaning camera to a 200 mile an hour uh, NASCAR, but we can't put one on the sky cam for a game like this they were showing this sky cam shot that looked like you were looking through an aquarium um which again feel feels like technology that humanity you see, is i th- i think that correct. helps that helps get you the the vibe for what you're watching no because this was not like you want to know you're watching a rain game this was not rain sort of spitting against the camera this is like i understand it's raining i've seen the shots from the side of the rain going sideways through the through the uh, the lights yeah. here i just can't see this looks like i'm drunk like this is not helpful if so you know a lot of people are pushing for Dak for uh you know being in the mvp race and all that stuff and i don't think you know the game this wasn't a great statistical game for him either um i would have liked to see this matchup in better weather yeah i think it would have been a i still think it's a challenge it would have been a challenge that new england defense especially at home we always talk about defense might not matter but a lot of our research also says if you have an elite defense and you're at home it, there is an impact. It's Same it, thing with the 49ers yeah. last night and everything. It did kind of render or not. It did kind of uh, neutralize Dallas's best weapons so far this season on offense, right? It's those receivers that have been able to get immediate separation through route running. Yep. Now everything's slicker. The, the catches are going to go down. They're not going to be able to get as open because of the footing and all that kind of stuff. It's also kind of telling that in the game that they leaned on Zeke more than they have at any point in the season, they scored nine points. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. It's against the New England defense. So obviously that's a factor. But, you know, th- this idea of this offense runs through Zeke, it shouldn't. Oh, it absolutely does. It's not. better when it doesn't. Now, that's not to say Zeke can't be a valuable part of the offense that runs through Dak, but that's the way it needs to function. Um, so, you know, it was a pretty good, you know, playoff type of game. You have to deal with the conditions. You have to figure it out. It ends up putting, you know, the kicking game was interesting. Both teams started kicking the ball. Oh, the Patriots started earlier, kicking the ball short on purpose. They almost, I mean, Dallas let one bounce and mm. Dallas looked unprepared just for that component. I mean, New England did a lot of things, a lot of subtle little things. Well, Dallas had a 20 yard difference on a, pun, a penalty on a punt. I mean, there's a lot of blocked punt as well. Blocked punt in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of that was a great play, by the way. 
by Matthews later. It was, yeah, really was. Yeah, literally just got his hand in front of the kick. Yeah. Um, getting through the, squeezing through the line. So New England won the game with a lot of the little things and then their defense cracking down on the back end. Dak had those two big throws, the dig route to Amari, had that big pass to um, Randall Cobb that almost went for 60. Other than that, it was just, it was tough sledding for that uh, Dallas offense as far as getting anything going. Mm-hmm. Can we talk Seattle, Philadelphia? You want to go out of order? No, well, no, it's in order Because the order is wrong. In order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you talked a little bit before about Russell Wilson's MVP candidacy going down because his numbers weren't great. He made some crazy good passes in this game. Another game where some of his best passes didn't end up caught. Like yeah. DK Metcalf made an absolute mess of at least two. Post route and another one up and over a defender. Yep. Just seemed to have a complete inability to adjust. You know, this, I don't want to tie this directly to the three cone thing, but it kind of looked like that in action. Yeah. You know, a guy, when you're that big and stiff and linear, when you have to make subtle adjustments laterally to a ball that's not where you want it to be, you, you struggle. We had this as one of, this is Russell Wilson threw the ball extremely well. We had five big time throws, two or three of which, I think at least two that were not caught. Right. One of which was perfect to touch down the back of the end zone, splitting the coverage, the, the, Splitting the two yeah. guys coming in from either angle. That was a beautiful pass. The actual touchdown. Yeah, to David Moore. Um, Rashad Penny breaks off a big run. For a guy with a gut, he's surprisingly nippy when he gets into the open field. Yeah. Um, I know. He is just weird. The other interesting thing is the Seahawks are legitimately getting some joy now out of moving. Malik Turner had the touchdown. That's what you meant. Right? No, David Moore caught the touchdown right in the back of the end zone. Malik Turner. There was, was a pass to David Moore in the back of the end zone. I don't think was. It was Moore not the guy on the receiving end of the, the, the flea one flicker? That, yeah. That was the touchdown. That was Malik Turner. That was Turner? Okay. Yeah. I could have sworn I was to David Moore. Moore had another catch on a big time throw. My bad. Um, I don't mean to embarrass you and correct you, but. No, I, mean, I just, I thought that that was David Moore. I just know people if get very is, angry when we're wrong. So if I don't it was, in fact, Malik Turner, I accept my wrongness and yeah. apologize. David Moore did have a 31 yard catch, though. Uh, the Seahawks are getting legitimate return out of using Shaquem Griffin as an edge rusher. I know you love this. I do because we said all along me more than most people that if he has an NFL future beyond special teams, feel good story, it is as an edge rusher because you know, so he's an interesting story because obviously we've got the deal with his hand, you know, losing it uh, with a, was it a, a birth defect that ended up getting amputated at the age of four or whatever it was. So, it's a fascinating story. A one-handed guy essentially becoming a legitimate NFL player. But the guy weighed like 220 pounds in college, and he was an edge rusher. Right. So I think very early on, UCF were like, if this guy is going to have an NFL future, we need to sort of help him prove that he can be more than just an edge rusher. So they started to transition him to being more of an off-the-ball linebacker and showing that he could play in coverage and play you know, against the run in space and all this kind of stuff. Then you go to the senior bowl, they line him up as an off-the-ball linebacker and ask him to play that way. And he did okay. Um, shows up at the combine having like tried his hardest to put on weight, weighed 227, was packing a gut, and somehow still ran a 4-3 something four three eight i think he ran um but like you know you can't show up with a belly and expect to carry that weight at the nfl level that's not going to work so essentially you're talking about a 220 pound edge rusher with yeah. one hand that doesn't happen often right that doesn't happen at all ever so you're just immediately behind the eight ball in terms of what you're expecting to happen then he go the seahawks take him they 
turn him into a linebacker. They say, right, you're playing linebacker. You're going to be off the ball. And honestly, he's just not great at that stuff. Yeah. Like he, he's okay at it maybe, but at the NFL level, probably not. I do think he was a legitimate pass rushing talent though. And against NFL caliber players in college, we saw him beat up on Auburn, you know, Auburn tackles in their bowl game. Absolutely wrecked them in that game. He was able to get legitimate pressure against NFL caliber players. The last two weeks, the Seahawks have been lining him up as a situational pass rusher on the edge. I would be amazed if he weighs more than 220 pounds right now, which would make him, other than Jamal Adams, the lightest yeah, right. you know, situational pass rusher in the NFL, probably by a reasonable distance. And this is the first week that we've seen him actually making a significant impact on that. I don't think he got any pressure a week ago, but it was uh, on very limited snaps against the 49ers. So I don't, I think he had something like 13 pass rushing snaps a week ago. Zero pressures on 13 pass rushing snaps is not ideal. On the other hand, that happens all the time, even to elite pass rushers. So it's, you know, small sample size, right? You can find a 13 snap sequence of Khalil Mack where he doesn't get any pressure. It's not like you write the guy off for that. This week though, we had three pressures. We had two hits and a hurry. I I'm just excited for seeing this work long term because I think this is where he exists at the NFL level and I think we're going to see him actually become a valuable um, pass rushing component to this team the end you're so excited I am I think it's good I like seeing him it's also nice to see that his brother is playing out of his skin right now as well Shaquille yeah. Griffin a corner is having um, you know the season of his career a career year as most normal people would phrase that um, so yeah I think this is, this is a fun story on the other side, Carson Wentz was terrible. I don't know. Like I'm watching this. Look at this play right here. This is great. Great TV. Why? So both quarterbacks in this game had one absolute gimme dink to a running back and airmailed it by five yards. Oh yeah, Wilson had that. What the one in the end zone? Oh, his wasn't. Was it? Uh, yeah, it was fullback. His one, right? So this is one of Wentz's fumbles. He's got like just throws to the flat. Yeah. This is Aaron Rodgers esque right here. He's got wide open throw to fly. Wentz could not hold on the ball yesterday. No. So Wentz had the one rolling to his left where he just put the ball like five yards over the running back. Wilson had one where he could have, I think, walked into the end zone. Or thrown it. Or thrown it. And air It was an easy pass. The guy's wide the hell open just waiting for him. To, and he just literally sort of tries to loft it and just fight again. How do you miss by that? It was insane. It's like both guys had one of those throws. Now, Wilson then had a bunch of other good throws, which offset that. Wentz, apparently, that was just emblematic of the day he was going to have. Wentz looks like he's got the yips or something. I don't know. Like, every one of his throws, not everyone, but, like, so many of them are just off. And now, so the one I'm looking at, he's got two really bad fumbles in there and then two picks, both on him. But, like, of the, you know, he fumbled a, a bunch. But of these couple fumbles, he's got this wide open, like the play is designed to throw the, the swing pass, which is wide open. Mm-hmm. He stares at it, turns back, and then he just turns like he's ready to take the sack. This is what we always talk about player under pressure and how volatile it is. Wentz is 2017, his MVP season. Talk about Derek Carr's highlight reel. Carson Wentz's highlight reel from his 2017 season was spectacular. It was yeah. play after play of him under duress, tight window throws, you know, breaking out of sacks and making big plays. That is so unsustainable. I mean, Eagles fans know this better than anybody. They, they have Wentz, they had Foles. They had as volatile as it gets. So Wentz almost inviting pressure these last couple of weeks with the Patriots and it goes one with the Patriots and now the Seahawks. It goes one of two ways. You either make those spectacular plays and it's like you're a hero 
or you start fumbling and th- turnover worthy plays and all that stuff. And now we're at the we're at the bottom end of Wentz playing under pressure. This was horrendous yesterday with four turnover worthy plays. So it's fun. So the legal, the Eagles have now lost two games back to back. They <laughs> so we said heading into this game that they were starting to look in trouble because, but ultimately Dallas may lose as well. So they. They weren't. It's bizarre. They they're looking in free fall right now, and yet they're actually in a really good position. Still, they're still, still only a around. game back from Dallas. They have to play Dallas. Look at their remaining schedule: the Eagles play the Dolphins, the Giants at home, the Redskins, the Cowboys at home, and then the Giants again. Oh, they could easily win they out. Could, they could easily win out, even if they let's say they drop the game to Dallas. Like they could lose to Dallas, who are the other competition in the division, and still win the division. Yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts. Really crazy. So, look, I, th- I think um, they've played in poor conditions the last couple weeks. We talk weather and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. And they've had all the receiver injuries. Like, there's a lot of things going against, uh, against this pass game. And the defense has played a little bit better in recent weeks, despite getting, you know, aided by the drops yesterday. Don't get too caught up in that. But um, Wentz has to play better football. Coming off of two games under 50 overall grade. The Dallas run in is um against the bills at home on the road to chicago uh against the rams at home against the eagles on the road and at home to the redskins so it's conceivable but would would be tricky for dallas to beat the eagles and still lose the division it's possible but you've got to assume they beat the Redskins. i mean dallas could go three and two and could be trouble if one of the i mean if the loss is the eagles right but if they, even if they beat the Eagles, it's possible for them to still throw oh, away yeah. the division. That's given, a, it's a much tougher schedule. Given both the their run-ins, which is insane. Like, the fact that the Eagles are still very much alive in the playoff run, despite what they look like right now, is madness. Yeah, a lot to uh, still play out there. But, yeah, disappointing home effort from the Eagles. Yeah, they, uh, they ruined my big parlay this week. I've had back-to-back. I shouldn't have done that. Five hundred dollar parlays blown up by one team. And oh. The Eagles did it this week. Sorry, man. Damn them. Sunday night football. 49ers thirty-seven. Packers eight. Yeah. That Niners D man. So again, we keep talking about defense. You know, can't bank on it and all that stuff. Good defenses at home are tough to play, and the Niners. Yeah, were legit. Rogers was poor. This was another game where you know Rogers has that early fumble which didn't have to happen. Just a lot of pocket, um, you know, ball security issues. So popping up here. first of all, let's get out of the way. PFF has been quite high on Aaron Rodgers this season. Not yesterday. Yeah. Like Rodgers did not play well yesterday at all. Um, he will not end up with a good grade yesterday. In fact, he will end up with quite a bad grade yesterday. Correct. So the fact that we have been high on Rodgers before now this season should not be taken as a suggestion that we were high on him yesterday because he was bad. Yeah, and to be and to be and fair, even, even watching, like he's had a bunch of good games. He's had two really high end games: the Detroit and Oakland games. Oakland it showed up in the stats that was ridiculous. Detroit that didn't show up in the stats because dudes kept dropping balls. Yeah, um, but he's still been a little up and down. He's had some. Sure, he's had a bunch of uh, negatively graded games or, or below average games for us. Right. Now, as with everything, you can't just isolate Rodgers because there were other things that were bad on the Green sure. Bay offense, which is why they didn't score very many points. Right. Um, Nick Bosa continued to absolutely wreck everybody that he goes up against. What was interesting in this game is. So Green Bay lose Brian Balaga earlier in the game, right? 
the 49ers immediately counter by shifting Nick Bosa to the other side of the line, right? So yep. we talked about how Bosa versus Bakhtiari was one of the best individual one-on-one matchups of the week. That's what I said on NFL Network. Yeah. Suddenly your right tackle goes down, and now you've got a massive weakness at that spot. So what do the 49ers do? They go, let's take our best pass rusher and move him to the weak link. Now you've got carnage. So Bosa does respond, absolutely wrecks the right side of Green Bay's line. Now you've got consistent pressure coming through there. Eric Armstead had another good game. DeForest Buckner had another good game. Now you've got three guys getting pretty much consistent pressure all game long. So that's going to cause problems. Um, and on the back end, the back end is held up really well. Jimmy Ward made a couple of crazy plays, you know, that diving uh, pass breakup against what looked like a good Aaron Rodgers pass. Ward is just able to get back in time to make that play. Like he had a pretty spectacular game, which he made multiple plays to change the course of this game. Ward, yeah, oh man, he was flying around. He was fun. He was really fun. Fred Warner had a big game, and th- this was, yeah. And then you've got you know again, it's this sort of game of inches. You've got that pass to the back of the end zone that Marquez Valdez Scantling isn't able to bring in. That is inches from a beautiful touchdown. It was close. But ultimately, you know, not. So yeah. There was a few plays like that in this game where anything, any sign of life Green Bay had were just a few inches the wrong side, right? Whether it was the Valdez Scantling play in the back of the end zone, whether it's Jimmy Ward getting across and breaking up passes that, that would have been significant chunk plays. DJ Jones making an incredible, not incredible, but like a really nice fourth down stop. How insane is it, by the way, they've got like, 18 three techs they're all a bunch of first round picks and yes. dj jones is the guy that's getting playing time and making plays he's legit he could stop the run he's always he was, a, he was always a good run stopper at old miss i like him sixth round pick yeah yeah i mean he's been pretty good in recent weeks making some plays um the niners are like a higher end colts defense where it, there's i mean there's they have stars like bosa like you're talking about but then it's like ah, fred warner's playing well now and jimmy ward like all these other all these guys, Jimmy Ward's having a career year mm-hmm. right now. Fred Warner has been a find yeah. um, over the last uh, two years uh, as far as what he can do from a coverage standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to cut down on all those missed tackles. And then on the flip side, pretty much nobody on Green Bay's defense stood up. No. So Darius Smith did well, again, going up against you know a backup tackle, so that'll help. Nobody else, really. Um, and then, so... You've got the fact that you're getting outclassed basically across the board. Then you have Kyle Shanahan dialing up essentially uncoverable plays. Yeah. You know, like the the sort of fake to the left with Kittle and then cut back across. You can't cover that. It's genuinely not possible to stop. Man, what an offense. When Kittle's out there, six catches, caught all six of his targets for 129 in that score, the 61-yarder. You got Debo Samuel catching two for 50. You know, this they do a really nice job of getting the most out of all those guys. Yeah. I mean, this was this was peak 49ers in terms of what they can achieve, right? The yeah. defense was absolutely cooking. Defense, play action, Garoppolo didn't make too many mistakes. The offense made some plays, and then you had Kyle Shanahan adding the value on top of that with plays that are effectively uncoverable. Yep. That was a good game. And if but you're going to have an uncoverable play, getting it to George Kittle at the end of it is good as well, you know? If I'm going to get, if I'm going to have a free play to somebody in the middle of the field, let's give it to the guy who can then go oh, yeah. go the distance, making people miss. So spectacular game for the 49ers. It was supposed to be this big litmus test game for the NFC, yeah. right? Packers now tied with the Vikings at the top of that division. Man, how? I mean, the Packers in two out of the last three weeks 
three games for the Packers. They scored 11 in an absolute dud against the Chargers. Mm -hmm. And then they just scored eight against the 49ers. Like when you have Aaron Rodgers is still extremely talented as much as he has, you know, stops taking easy play. Like he's, he's had his deficiencies over the last couple of years compared to where he was, but they have three games this year where they scored 10 and one in week one scored 11 against the Chargers and scored eight against the Niners yesterday. Yeah. Concerning or you just think yeah, they'll figure it out. I mean, I think ultimately this team probably isn't as good as they've looked for most of the season record wise. Um, even again, just basic, extremely crude terms. If you look at points for and against, like they have a significantly worse points differential than the Vikings who were a game yeah. behind them are now tied. Right. Well, especially now after last night's beat down. Sure. That's but even before that, right. it was the Vikings looked healthier. They've scored more and conceded less. So the pack went in a whole bunch of one score games, including, I mean, one of those games was the Monday night game against Detroit. 23-22, where the refs kept calling illegal hands to the neck. And is, yeah, and it's looking less impressive, even just in isolation, if you consider that a legitimate victory. Yeah. It's looking less and less impressive as the weeks go by, you know, as Dwayne Haskins beats the Lions. Matt Moore's Chiefs gave him a game. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, some warning signs in there, maybe. Yeah. I mean, a lot like Oakland, right? We've kind of hammered the Raiders in terms of this is a team that isn't necessarily as good as their uh, record would indicate. I think there are a lot of those same warning signs for the Green Bay Packers. I think the perception might just be a little different because one has Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback. The other one has Derek Carr. That's fair. But it's it's honestly, it's a very similar story at this point that right. this team might not be anywhere near as good as it looked. All right, man. That'll do it. I can't wait to see Lamar and the Ravens offense going up against the Rams. I think that'll be. Okay. How's that going? Good one. Quick. 20 second synopsis um i think the rams might surprise some people Ooh. with a really good game but the, you know, i'll still pick the ravens to win i think it'll be a good game okay um yeah i think that the rams defense will do as good a job as anybody at slowing down lamar yeah this year big test for him the next few weeks he's got to play the niners he's got the rams he's got some tests that's sort of the 49ers by the way like they were saying 49ers the have a crazy <clears throat> schedule yeah they were saying on the broadcast last night the stat that i couldn't quite remember properly last week that they're the only team in the Super Bowl era to have three consecutive teams with a 800 or better record. Now, that could change, right? This is the thing that confused me, right? That's as of now, but surely if one of those teams loses the next two weeks, that's no longer true. Yeah, well, they've got at Baltimore and at New Orleans coming up next. Then the Falcons, Rams, and at Seahawks to, to round it out. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's going to be great. Schedule. It's going to be run. great down the stretch, but impressive win for the Niners last night. Everybody enjoy. Monday night football the rest of the week programming note mm-hmm. one more podcast housekeeping it'll be early Wednesday morning for us to record for us to record we're we gonna go live early uh, Wednesday yeah it'll be on the YouTube live but we'll put it out the audio version I think is not coming out until Thursday morning Thursday morning okay yeah. and that'll be our week 13 preview we'll preview all the th- uh, Thursday Thanksgiving games maybe we'll get it out even sooner for the people traveling we'll see maybe we'll see. a lot of travel so it'll be, yeah it'll be travel. live Wednesday morning there'll be no mailbag YouTube listening people we preview only. in week 13 preview will take the place of the mailbag and then we'll figure out when we're going to put out the audio version sounds great go grab your PFF elite premium stats 2.0 all the games are coming in right now we'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action all the football you can handle all in one place so every game that we're talking about right now you guys can re-watch it 
after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.